All right, if you grab your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this will be our last day in 1 Corinthians 13 as we wrap it up. The, the love chapter that, if you remember, was given as a rebuke to the Corinthians because they were not very loving in their church. And so in verse 13, we will see these three things, faith, hope, and love. And we'll take a look at each one and uh, consider how they fit into the church today. And so I'll bring in lots of additional verses that I will give you. Uh, You may not be able to flip to each one. I have them listed in your notes. And so you can go back and look at them or uh, get them later. Um, And so lots of verses to be uh, looking as well. So let's pray and then we'll read our scripture here. Father God, we do worship you. We do thank you for your word. And God, we want to learn and grow this morning. Would you give us an excitement for your word this morning and the preaching of it? Would you open our minds and hearts that we may receive from you? And God, may your spirit cause growth in our lives so that we are changed and more, more molded into the image of Christ and that we as a church may continue to grow and mature for your glory. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today is just verse 13, but again, we're going to read the whole of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So before we get to those three I want to look at this word abide. Uh, The word abide means to stay, means to remain. It also has the idea of living or dwelling in a place. So if something abides, it does not leave. It stays in place. It continues. It's set there. All right. This is the same word that you see in John chapter 15. Uh, In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before his death. This is their last 
real significant time together. And in verse 4 of John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So remain in me, continue in me, don't leave me, don't leave this connection. So these three things, this abiding here in 1 Corinthians is for the church. When all is said and done, when you've considered all that Paul has written up to this point, this is the summation of it. This is what is left standing, so to speak. These three things, faith, hope, and love, are to abide, continue in the church. And so how should the church worship? Well, within the context of faith, hope, and love. How should the church express authority? Within the context of faith, hope, and love. How should the church participate in the Lord's Supper? How should the church use spiritual gifts? All within the context of faith, hope, and love. How is the church built up to maturity? Faith, hope, and love. Within that context, this is what is to remain. This is what is to stay, to abide in the, in the church. This is what the church is conti- to continue in. These three things. So as we go through the sermon this morning, this is what I want you to consider. First, do these three things, do faith, hope, and love abide here at Pine Grove as they should? Do they abide here as they should? And then second, do these three things, faith, hope, and love, abide in your life personally as they should? All right, so we'll explore each one of these uh, together. So first is faith. Faith. Here's a definition for faith. Faith is a conviction of the truth of God's word. Conviction of the truth of God's word. Now, again, we can define faith. There's different ways to define faith and get to the, to the same meaning. But, meaning. but first, this, this is the way we're going to define it. Conviction. It's a conviction of the truth of God's word, right? Another way the Bible defines it specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith is a belief. It's a trust. It's a confidence. To have faith is to be persuaded, fully persuaded of something. So faith is fully trusting in the revelation we see in God's word, the revelation from God given to us in his word. So a few observations uh, further about faith. Um, Faith is a gift from God, right? Faith, first of all, is a gift from God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, says that God has allotted each one a measure of faith. And so if you have any faith in God, any faith through Christ, it's a gift from God to you. God has given you that gift of faith. Whatever the measure is, it is from God. He has given it. It's never something that uh, you can produce within your own life. You can't just will it to happen. You can't make it happen. It can't be 
worked up, give it to you. God, give me effort. Right? You can ask God to give it to you. God, give me faith. You can ask God to grow it in you, right? To grow faith within you, to help you trust him and his word more and more. You can put God's word into your mind and into your heart to help develop faith. But God must develop within you. It is his work within you. And so God gives you this gift of faith, and then God gives the increase. He grows faith within you. He matures it within you. So it becomes more and more. Right? We're told in Scripture that faith, as small as a mustard seed, can move mountains. Right? And yet faith can continue to grow and expand in your life as you mature over time. Second observation here that's important is there's an emphasis on God's Word. Right? Emphasis on God's Word. So faith is not just grounded in your thoughts or your feelings. Right? Your thoughts and your feelings aren't sure. They aren't certain. They aren't even always real or true. Right? Our thoughts and our feelings aren't always based on truth. God's word is always certain. It is always right. It is always true. Right? We read that in, in his own word. The word of the Lord is true. It's eternal. It never ends. It never changes. It never diminishes. It is set. And so faith comes by God through his word. Right? Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so as you read God's word, as you hear it preached, as you soak it in, God then uses that to build faith and to grow faith within you. It develops more and more within you. That's why you should come and hear God's word preached every Sunday. That's one of the reasons. That's why you should be reading the Bible on your own, in your own personal time, in your homes and with your families. That's why you should attend a Sunday school and a Bible study or a neighborhood group so you can have other opportunities to take in God's word, that your faith might be grown and developed. So faith is based on God's word. Another aspect of this faith is a conviction of the truth, especially as it relates towards us in salvation. Right? We talk about saving faith. So there is initial saving faith that is given to us through Christ by his spirit, and then there is the faith that grows and, and develops. So faith as it relates to salvation. It's a conviction regarding man's relationship to God, right? Knowing and believing and being convicted that God is the creator of all things, that man has sinned against the holy God, that man deserves death as a due punishment for his sin, and that God sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth in human form, that he lived a perfect, holy, righteous life, that Jesus became your sin for you as he hung on the cross in your place, that he died in your place as payment for your sin, that he was raised to life again, that he is now seated in heaven, ruling and reigning. This is saving faith, being convicted of that, putting your full trust and hope and confidence in that. Saving faith is a conviction that all of this 
is true. It's a faith in all that God, all that God is, all that God does, and all that God says to be true about you. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Right? It's given to you by faith. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So faith justifies you. You are justified by faith through your belief, through your absolute conviction of these truths, the truths of God's word. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross to save us. That's our victory. That's our freedom. That's our joy. And faith also, as it's given, leads us to repentance. It leads us to turn away from our sin and turn towards Christ as our living hope, to look to him, to all that he has done for our salvation. So by faith you are saved and become a child of God. By faith you obtain forgiveness of sin and eternal life. By faith Christ dwells within you, dwells in your heart, Ephesians 3.17. By faith you live out your life in this world, as we sung about earlier. It's by faith, by trusting and believing in God's word, by having a conviction of that. How does faith abide in the church? Right? Faith is one of these three things that abide, that abides in the church. Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? Remember last week? Right now we are living in this partial. Right? We're living in the, this partial time. The perfect is not yet come. We don't see completely. We don't see fully. We don't see the whole picture. And so we walk, we live by faith, right? Believing what God says in his word, even though we don't fully see it all or understand it all right now. We walk and we live by faith. Hebrews 10.22 says this, says, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of of faith. See, faith allows us to draw near to God. It allows us to recognize once again that Christ has paid for our sin, therefore freeing us and we can enter through the curtain into God's presence without fear, without fear of dying on the spot because of God's holiness. Right? Faith allows us to come into his presence without fear, to draw near to God to come to his side, to seek after him, to know him. Hebrews 11.6 then says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14.23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we must be a people who walk by faith, who live by faith, who believe and have confidence in God's word and who actually live it out. Not just say, yeah, I believe that on Sunday morning, but then I live this way. We've got to live it out. That's the evidence of faith, living it out. So if we want to please God, if we want to live 
righteously before him, it can only stem from faith. So God, grow our faith that we might live more pleasing to you. We read in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist, right? Faith is evidenced by works. If there are no works, right, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? If there's not smoke, there's probably not fire. If there's not works, there's not faith. Faith without works is dead. And so this faith that is ours should motivate us. It should drive us in all that we do, right? Everything we do in the church, as faith abides here, everything we do in the church should be a result of this great faith that God has given us. Every sermon we preach, every song we sing, every Bible study, every fellowship group, every helping hand we lend, it should all be based on faith, right? Trusting in God's word. So think of it this way. If I have something and I give you, if I give you a gift, I give a gift to you, whose is that item now? It's yours, right? It's yours. So now if God has given you this gift of faith, it is now yours to carry out. Let's say I give you that gift and then you put it on the shelf and you never look at it, you never touch it, you just completely ignore it. Is that gift being put to good use? No, it's not right? It's useless. And so if you've been given a gift of faith, you were to put it to good use, not just have it sit on the shelf, right? Put it to good use. You're to carry out this faith within the church and within your life and all the spheres of life. You're to put your faith into practice. So here's our consideration regarding faith. How is our faith here at Pine Grove? How well does faith abide among us? Do we have a conviction of the truth of God's word? Is it evident in all that we do? Then how about for you individually? Are you personally walking by faith, even during these somewhat turbulent times? Are you keeping a right view of God in your life? Are you stressed out, or are you resting in the truth of God's Word? Live by faith, trusting in all that God says in His Word. Faith, let's be people of faith. So number one, faith, right? Kids, what's number two? Hope. Thank you. Hope. Here's how we're going to define hope. Hope is a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. All right? A joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Biblical hope is a hope of trust and confidence. It's an expectation of what is sure and what is certain. It also carries this anticipation, right? There's an anticipation of what is to come. Hope is, a biblical hope is not, I hope I get pizza for lunch, right? It'd be good. It may come, it may not come, right? It's not that kind of hope. It's, biblical hope is not, I hope someone will give me a million dollars this year. 
But I really don't anticipate anybody doing that. It would be nice if they did, but I'm not really expecting it. I'm not really anticipating that. That's a fleeting hope. That's a fleeting hope. Biblical hope is our certain expectation and joyful anticipation of the eternal glories that we will experience in heaven. Right? One day when Christ comes, takes us to be with himself for all of eternity, we get to be with God face to face, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, without sin any longer, without any effect of sin any longer, we should be joyfully anticipating that day, right? And all the struggles of this world should lead us more and more. I believe Terry prayed this. All the struggles of this world should lead us more and more into that mindset. I can't wait for, the, for heaven. I can't wait for this world to be done with and for us, the church, to be in the eternal glories of heaven. That's what the difficulties and the hardships of life are for. That's part of God's purpose for them in your life so that you would have more and more a longing for the eternal. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says that we live godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. That's our sure and certain thing. We wait for the coming of Christ. We anticipate it. We look for it. We live our lives as if it's actually going to happen. Because by faith, God's word, we believe God's word that says it's going to happen. First right? Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If all your hope is for pizza and a million dollars coming your way, you'd be pitied, right? Those things are unsure and unfulfilling. But our hope isn't in this life only. Our hope is in the things of the world to come. Our hope is in the glories of the eternal. And so faith and hope are tied together, right? Faith justifies you. It's by faith that you are justified, that you are saved, that then gives you great hope, right? Great hope of what is to come. Hope is a perseverance. It's a continuing in faith because of the great hope that we have in the eternity to come. Hope is a driving force in our lives, right? It motivates us to keep going, to persevere, right? To keep up this faith that's been given to us, to not give up, to not shrink back, but to continue on because we know what is to come. If your eyes are set on the things of this world, you're only looking at the partial, you're going to be disappointed. Right? We have to be looking at that perfect, that which is to come, the glorious perfection that we will experience fully and completely someday. And not only one day, it's coming one day, but it will last forever and ever. Glory to God. So how does hope abide in the church? Romans 8, 24 to 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? 
So we don't see all that is to come yet. We're in the parcel from verse 9. Hope believes the unseen. Right? It believes what is to come. And it believes it with great patience. There's waiting. There's longing. There's enduring waiting for it to come. But we can be sure that it's coming, right? That's our assurance. That's our great hope. That's the confidence and trust that's different than the hopes of this world. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So you have been justified by faith, and now your hope is in the glory of God to come. It is coming. It is coming. You just have to wait for it. Right? You have to wait for it. But again, this hope should bring great rejoicing within the church. Right? How does hope abide in the church? We should be a rejoicing church, not only because our sin is forgiven, but because we have eternity to come. We have an eternal dwelling and an eternal inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. That should give us, cause us to rejoice greatly. It should give us great joy within the church and within our lives as we anticipate that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, after he's talking about the return of Christ and the fact that we will always be with the Lord. He says in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. This great hope that we have is to be used as an encouragement one for another. We are supposed to remind one another of what is to come. Brother, I know these times are tough, but this isn't the end. Right? Sister, don't lose hope. Jesus is coming to make all things new. Right? Encourage one another with these words. When's the last time you encouraged somebody with the hope, the sure hope of eternity? Christ is coming. This world will be conquered. Evil will be conquered. It will be done away with. And we'll have eternal glory to experience. Right? Encourage one another with this hope. So consider, how does our hope lie here at Pine Grove Community Church? How well does hope abide here? Do we keep in mind the glories of heaven that await us? Do we rejoice together at all that God has in store? Do we have patience in the meantime, in this partial time? Do we have patience as we labor in the Lord and wait for that time to come. How about you in your own life? How are you personally doing in hope? Do you keep in mind the reality of your eternal, eternal salvation? Are you joyful in this hope? Or are you prone to grumbling and whining and complaining and negativity? And do you encourage others with these words? Do you encourage others in this great hope? When you see others negative and whining and pouting, do you encourage them? Hey, this isn't the end. 
Keep your eyes fixed on what is to come. All right, kids, number one was? Faith. Faith. Number two was? Hope. Hope. Number three? Love. Love. Good job. Here you go, love. So here's our definition of love for this morning. Love is a divine love which gives preference to another. A divine love which gives preference to another. So again, this word here, love, in this chapter is this agape love. It's a divine love. It's a godly love. It's a love of benevolence or a love of goodwill or affection, okay? This is a love of preference, right? This type of love prefers the good of another over oneself, right? It prefers another. It gives preference to another over oneself. And, of course, as we've seen already the last couple weeks, uh, love is defined more in the rest of this chapter as we've read about. And so this is a perfect, godly love. God is holy love. His nature is summed up in this word love. And then God gives his nature, he gives his perfect love to you. Isn't that amazing? You, somebody who's turned away from him, gone your own way, sinned against him, rebelled against him, you're an object of his wrath, And God gives his love to you, his perfect love, giving you preference over his son who he sent to die on the cross, So you have this divine love from God, and now you get to love others. This divine, godly love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he, God, first loved us us. And so this love takes place in three relationships, right? Takes place in relationships mainly three ways. First, God to man, right? God has given us his love. God has loved you with his perfect love. Then, man to God. You are called to love God. You can love God back because he has first loved you. Because he's given you this perfect love, you can love him perfectly. Right? And then third relationship, man to man, one to another. Right? God has given you his love, so there is now Christian love, one to another. Right? Among fellow Christians and man to man, there is Christian love from believers given to unbelievers. Right? So this love... This agape, perfect, godly love is not a love of self, right? It's a forbearing of that, a forbidding of that, a putting aside of that, and it's a love for others. And so love also is tied to faith and hope, right? They are tied together. So first, faith and hope can be yours because of Christ's love for you, right? Christ's love, his saving work, allows for faith and hope to be possible in your life. And so then, faith justifies you, giving you great hope, which leads you to love. Love extends the benefits of faith and hope then to others. You have faith and hope, you've been given this great love, and because of your faith, 
in God and his word, because of the hope of the glories to come, you then are able to love others freely with this godly agape love. You can share the gospel with others. Isn't that a great way to love those who are apart from Christ? Maybe the best way to love them? Faith, hope, and love, right? You can't have this type of love without faith and hope. You can have brotherly affection type of love. You can have a worldly love. But this type of God, divine love can only happen through faith and hope that are ours in Christ. So how does love abide in the church? Well, our love then is just a response of God's love given to us in Christ, right? As you understand more and more of God's love for you, love will result more and more in your life, right? And in order for you to grow in your understanding of God's love for you, you need to always grow in the knowledge of God's saving work, of Christ's saving work in your life. You need to have that in view as a demonstration of his love. Right? Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a demonstration, a showing of God's love. He sent his son to die in your place. Right? The more we know this, the more we grow in our knowledge of this, in our understanding of it, the more we're able to love others. The more we're able to love God and love others. Right? John 15.13. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Obviously, that's Christ for us. 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4.9-11, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love for God, then, is displayed in our obedience. Our obedience, John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Your love for God is mainly shown, it's mainly demonstrated in your obedience to his word. Right? God demonstrated his love to you in sending Christ to pay for your sin, to give you eternal life. Your love to God is displayed in your obedience to God and through his word. God is love. He's given his perfect love to all believers, and then he commands us also to love one another. So we are to obey God. That's our demonstration of our love to him. And then one of his commandments is that we love one another. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Right? So in the church, we are to love one another. Right? We are to receive God's love and give to others. We're to show preference for others. It's a demonstration of our love. Love means that you sacrifice yourself, your time, 
your energy, your resources for the good of others. That's love. It means you lay aside your wants and your desires for the benefit and the good of others. True biblical love should characterize how we relate to one another within the church and how we relate to others outside of the church. We should be known for our good, Christian, godly, agape love. And as we think about our context here with spiritual gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14, spiritual gifts are to be carried out within this context, faith, hope, and love, not in selfishness and pride. So, how is our love here at Pine Grove? How well does love abide among us? Do we love God above all else? How are we loving one another within the church? How are we loving those in our community who are lost and separated from Christ? And then how are you personally loving God and loving others? Are you living in obedience to God's word? Is your love being expressed? Is it being carried out? Are you living with preference for others? All right, next. Love is the greatest, right? But the greatest of these is love. Why is, the love, why is love the greatest of these? It's really simple. Love is the greatest because of its permanence, because it endures. It never ends, right? Love never ends. It's everlasting. For all of eternity, love will be the appropriate response to the mercy we receive in the gospel and his gracious blessings to us. That's our appropriate response. Love never ends. God's love for us never ends. Our love for God never ends. By contrast, faith and hope are partial, right? They're temporary. Faith and hope end when Christ returns. They're just part of the partial. Love will continue in the perfect when we are perfected, when the church is perfected then. On that day, though, faith will be a reality, right? Faith will no longer be faith. Faith will be a reality. Hope will be fulfilled. It will be filled. It's no longer longing because it's a reality. It's a present thing at that time, right? Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Now, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's the now, but when Christ returns, your faith will be turned to sight. You will see the truth of God's word in its fullness and completeness, and you will know it fully and completely that it is true. Right? There's no longer faith. You know it. Verse 12, now you see dimly. Now you know in part. That's faith. But then you will see face to face. Then you will know fully. That's sight. That's completeness. Right now you have hope for the unseen, right? Hope for what is unseen. But then you actually see it and hope will be gone because it'll be reality. It'll be fulfilled. All that you wonder and anticipate about heaven, you'll experience in all of its fullness forever and ever. Faith will be fulfilled. Hope will be complete. It'll be full, perfect reality. So wrap up quickly for Pine Grove. How are we doing in these areas? Well, we're doing okay. We're doing well, faith, hope, and love, and yet we fall short, right? 
We have room to grow. We need to grow. We need to continue to mature in these things. We're being sanctified. This work needs to continue among us. So we need ongoing growth in faith. We need ongoing growth in hope, ongoing growth in love. And how about for you as an individual? How about for you in your life? Do you live in faith? Do you live as justified and free, not attempting to earn a righteousness of your own? Is your faith greater than your fear? Do you believe all that God has said in his word? Are you, do you have confident trust in it? Do you live in hope? Are you constantly looking toward the future glory? Is your life characterized by tremendous joy because you know what is to come? Do you live in love? Do you live in love for God, giving yourself to him? Do you live in love for others, putting them before yourself, loving them with this godly, divine love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for the church. Thank you for this local body of believers we call Pine Grove Community Church. God, we are thankful. We are grateful for what you are doing, how you have assembled the church. And we know from your word now that faith, hope, and love abide. So thank you that those three things abide here among us as your children. And yet, God, help us to grow in these things. Grow us and mature us in these things. God, help us to be people who walk by faith in the full assurance of your word, being really confident in all that it says, not being ashamed of it, but living it out in our lives. God, give us great hope. Continue to grow our, our understanding of what is to come in all of eternity. Let our minds be set there and let us get, rejoice greatly because of it. God, grow our love. Grow our love for you, our commitment to you, our desire to be in relationship with you. Grow our love for one another. And we may love with a perfect agape love. God, strengthen us for these things. May it all be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.